everybody. We are here 16th of May. Half the month is over. We're coming to, I don't know, 14th Q&A? 15th Q&A. 15th Q&A. And uh, tonight and probably tomorrow night, twice a week, Saturday, Sunday night, we'll do the Q&A and the other five nights. We will continue teaching. So as we go to the question and answer session, we hope God gives us the wisdom discernment to give you the right answers. But I also hope those who ask the questions are also watching. Otherwise, one will ask the question and somebody else will be hearing the answers. That's the issue when you are uh, speaking to an unseen audience. So I'm hoping everybody who asked these questions in the past days are also tuned in. <clears throat> Let's hope God will answer you using our words. So before we go into Q&A, Pastor Vijay, could you lead us in prayer? <clears throat> Father, we just thank you once again for this evening. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we are your children. We have come to our Heavenly Father. This evening, O oh Lord, even as we discuss all these all these questions, and I, I pray, Father, for your spirit of wisdom and revelation to rest over all of us. We who answer and all those who hear, your anointing would rest over all of us, O oh Lord. And I pray, Father, that, Lord, you would begin to unfold your word. Father, it is the unfolding of your word, O oh Lord, which gives us light. The unfolding of your word. Unfold your word this evening. And Lord, answer not only the questions, but also the questioner, O Lord. Come at this entire time into your hands. Give us all wisdom, O Lord. Lord, lead us by your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, that Lord, your name and your name will be exalted and glorified through every ministry. We thank you. We praise you for this time. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 <coughs> I hope the uh, sound is okay. If you cannot hear either one of our voices, you need to hear both the question and the answer. So please type it out and let us know. Yes, Pastor Vijay. So we'll begin with the little one. Yes, we'll start There's with one little one who has asked two so tough questions. <laughs> we'll start with Pilgrim's Progress. Okay. Oh, that is question that, number. Yeah, 19, Pastor. 19. Okay. What does carry your burden mean? I see Christian in Pilgrim's Progress carrying a big load on his back. What does carry one another's burden mean? Kya baat hai? Super. It's a tough question from our little Sarah, Derek and Rachel's little Sarah. I think all of five or six years old. That's a big question for a little child. Man. <laughs> Even I'm flummoxed how to give this answer. Hallelujah. <laughs> Pastor Vijay, you are the Pilgrim's Progress. Okay. So Man, you taught them this, so I won't let you off the hook. Okay. You taught them this, so you are you are <laughs> responsible for the so answer. You, <laughs> you carry, you talk about the carrying one another's burden. Okay. Part. Okay. Right. okay. So, uh, Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, when he is uh, carrying that load, he was carrying the load, which is uh, a symbol of sin. He was carrying a burden of sin. Remember I told you, he was, he was reading the Bible, and when he was reading the Bible, he cries out, Who will save me from hell? Who will save me from sin? And that uh, guilt and that shame kind of becomes a load, and only when he goes to Jesus on the cross, when he goes to Jesus and he walks on that 
path towards the cross, his burden comes off and he experiences the forgiveness of Jesus and walks with him. Okay, so that is what pilgrim is doing. His entire uh, load has been taken away. And so what, what does carry your burden means? Jesus gives us a burden now. The burden is not the burden of sin. It is the burden to love others and to preach the gospel to others. That is what it means to carry your burden. And Pastor will elaborate on that. I'll leave it at that. What does carry one another's burden mean? Okay. Uh, Now, when we were born, the old nature, I'm trying to make it simple for Sarah and also for the others. We were born naturally selfish. Hmm. We thought put ourselves first and that's the whole issue in humanity because self first. Once we are born again in the image by this word of God, by his spirit, we are born in the image of God and you will know God carries others burdens. Mm. So when we say when we carry one another's burden, the first thing is stop thinking about yourself first. Love your neighbor. And how does it begin practically? means practically the first thing you do is that change your prayer life. Okay, Sarah, change your prayer life. You don't have to think about everybody. Ask God. He will remind you. You know, establish rocks. You know, establish rocks. Mm-hmm. Your little group of little children establish rocks. So first pray for established rocks. Pray for your daddy and mommy. Then pray for us. We need a lot of prayer because we are in the forefront. So us and everything connected with us is attacked. So you always have to remember for to pray for Pastor Ong, both the pastor, Apacha and uncle. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have to think. And that is the first part of carrying the burden is primarily spiritual in prayer. And then God will show you. And especially as you grow up, he will show you who is in trouble and which way you can help that person. Okay, And then you are actually carrying somebody else's burden. And that's what the church is supposed to do. I'll give you a simple example. Okay, Sarah, if it should not happen, it's an example. Mm. If tonight or tomorrow you fall and you hurt your left leg, then you will be limping. When you are limping, what does it mean? Your right foot right leg is taking the weight of your left leg. Mm. Okay, so what is the right leg doing? It's carrying the other one's burden. So what happens is, the church is a body with different people. The Spirit of God will show who is weaker, who is struggling, and whoever thinks he is stronger is called to carry the burden of the weaker. And that's how the kingdom of God operates in. It's a good question, Sarah, okay? One of the best questions of 15 days. I love questions like this. And when children think and ask questions, I'm tickle pink. Hallelujah. Another question from Sarah. Will Yes, one more question from Sarah. Will heaven fail? (laughs) (laughs) The Bible says heaven and earth will fail, but his word will still remain. So the mother explained to her that heaven will pass away. It doesn't really say that it will fail. So she says... But why do we sing the lyrics, heaven and earth may fail, 
she is talking about that song god is god will make a way See, when children listen to your lyrics fix. very carefully if you teach them the word from the beginning then they will listen and read according to the word let mm. me even i did not notice this in that lyrics the child noticed okay. okay heaven and earth may fail she was talking about the song god will make a way and if it is not there in the bible why does gtc worship team sing and use these words mm. she wants to, <laughs> she wants to know Peter you have another question okay she wants to know does heaven really fail what does it mean that heaven will pass away okay, okay. sarakute this is what it means okay when uh, when uh, you don't you are not if you are not promoted to another class that means you did not pass so f- heaven and earth will fail means also it will pass away because if does if it does not fail then it is permanent so everything of this creation which god has created will pass away everything he has created will pass away heaven and earth will pass away meaning it will fail it is not permanent the only thing that will not fail is what god has breathed into which is part of his nature that is eternal so pass away or fail here in this context means the same thing so out of your big heart in that small body you can forgive gdc worship team, okay <laughs> they were only singing a song that was written by uh, somebody else but that's what it means heaven will pass away everything that we that's why god says don't put your trust and your hope in these things that is passing away and if you can put uh one john 216 or 17 i think 16 216 that is what what will not pass away uh 17 uh, no, no. world is passing away did you see this world is passing away and its desires but he who does the will of god abides forever so little sara if you grow up and do the will of god understand the will of god do the will of god you will not pass away you will live forever and ever and ever and ever even the world will pass away earth will pass away heaven will pass away but he or she who does the will of god will abide forever so thank you once again little children you can always send a question okay you will get first priority hallelujah so first of all take questions because jesus said do not stop the children from coming to me the angels always have access to little children's angels have first access to god then we also should give you first access okay now we go to the tough questions tough question these questions were pretty good tough questions but mm. we'll go to the questions asked by adults uh, pastor will take questions 5 and 6 together 5 and both of them have uh, a similar theme okay uh, does being unequally yoked apply only to marriage with unbelievers or does it also mean living in joint families with members of unequal level of faith or unbelieving members that's question number 1 mm-hmm. and the part 1 and what if the believing member is unable to take a stand for his faith because of the weaker unbelieving member of the family as it as it causes unrest and fights what should the believer do how should he cope with such situations if troubles are constantly rising it's a very i mean there is not one answer we can give you because each one of you though it applies to everybody and but you will have to take your decisions according to your situations 
So when you are talking about being unequally yoked, if you look at that passage, it's not talking about marriage alone. It's talking about every relationship. Yes. Okay, every relationship. Okay, so Second what happens? Yeah, what happens is, yeah, can we have it so that do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers? Now, yoke is the term that is used. Remember, Jesus also calls us all who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. I will give you rest. Take my, my yoke. yoke upon. A yoke is when two people are traveling in the same direction, meaning life, doing the same thing, has to make decisions together, have to live under one roof. Like a family is yoked together, whether you like it or not. Yes. So the yoke itself will cause trouble. That is why unity of mind has to come. But all these problems happen when uh, you get saved. Let us say you are in an unbelieving family or a nominal Christian family and you get saved. And uh, what happens? That's what Jesus meant by the division he will bring. He said, I, I have not come to bring peace, meaning a false peace, which is basically compromise, but to bring a sword. And that sword of Jesus Christ rips families apart because you suddenly realize you're unequally yoked. So in Indian systems and all joint family systems and all, what do you do? Uh, you will have, depending upon who you are in the family, you will have to ask God to give you wisdom, discernment. Primarily, I would say that pray your way through. See, Joseph was unequally yoked in that family. family yes. And he was the youngest. Mm. And, you know, the only one who probably understood his faith was his father, but his father was not around all the time and he had no mother and he had 10 elder brothers and it's a huge joint family. You're using a term joint family. That's how the patriarchal families in the book of Genesis were a huge family. They all had their tents and all, but huge, huge family. But uh, how did he manage? Yeah. God moved him out. <laughs> okay, God moved him out. So you will have to, God will not move you out immediately until you have taken your stand. Mm. Okay, I'll tell you because I have seen that happen, happen in my own life. You will say, Lord, move me out. He says, no, first, first show your stand. First prove that what you believe is true. Mm. True that is belief. And when we step by step by step stand on what we believe without being repulsive, without being nasty, okay. because then the truth uh, is lost. Okay, we we believe in the issue and how we put across the issue. We are very firm and sometimes people realize, okay, and they are willing to listen to our issue and gives us the freedom. And then if it does not happen, we believe God will make a way where uh, uh, he moves you out, out of that situation. But when it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, sometimes he will ask you to, die for a situation. Hmm. That is where martyrdom comes. Ultimately, you have to evaluate, is it worth fighting about? Because sometimes people will create issues by saying, I'm standing for the truth, when that issue is not even such a big matter. And then it becomes an issue of personal ego. Hmm. So you have to always, because this is a general question, so I'm saying you have to look at that issue Look at how the Word of God applies to that issue. Look at what the Spirit of God is telling you how to handle that issue. But primarily, you take a stand and ask God to help you through.
Mm. Hallelujah. So question number six says, I am in two minds about... Like, uh, like coming back to this, let me explain to you. Okay, because these are problematic. I have faced this issue, problematic issues when you are on mission trips. Because like I said, when you are a visiting preacher, an itinerant preacher on mission trips, people feel more, uh, more comfortable talking to you than to sometimes talking to your own pastors. And the pastors say, please go ask Pastor James. So I have had many times when sisters come to me and ask this saying like, we come from a non-Christian background, from a Hindu background, Buddhist background, you know, and we got saved. Now our husbands are not saved. Mm. So what do we do? Because he will say straight away, no going to church. Mm. No going to church. And we know from the Bible, it says wives, your husband is your head. And the unbelieving one wants to stay, he will not leave. But he opposes this part that don't go to church. So what do I do? I say, first thing I would say to you, people may not agree with me, but what I would say to you is don't fight, don't create commotion in your house, submit to your husband and pray. Intercede, pray, cry out to the Lord and be very nice, very kind because it's the kindness of God that brings us to repentance. And 1 Peter 3, 1 will say, when they see your reverent behavior, Without a word, you will be able to save. You may be able to, uh, can I have it three? Yeah. Even if some do not obey the word, wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word. So it's a situation, a believer caught with an unbelieving partner, and it happened after salvation. They, without a word, maybe, it's not giving you paka, maybe, by the way, for all those outside the world, pakai means absolutely certain. It's not, it's using not will, it is using that word may be won by the conduct of their wives. So some of them, I know testimonies where they took it and on a Sunday they asked, can I go? The husband said no. And they're very, unlike earlier times, after they received the counsel, they were very kind. They said, okay, if you say no, I'm not going. And they were very nice. They prayed, they sang. They did the breakfast, everything. Next Sunday, I said, keep asking. You have nothing to lose by asking. Okay, always pray your way through Saturday. And again, ask Saturday night or Sunday morning, can I go? The husband will say no. But he's being like, he's being what? Uh, conscience is going to... He's pricking him and he's being restless because he looks at your response to that no. You're not responding the way when he said no to something before you became a believer. Mm-hmm. Then you fought like a cat and said, I want this. And you cried, you created and No, you're very cheerful, happy, accepting. Two Sundays, three Sundays, again he said no. Then people actually told me by the fourth or fifth Sunday, Saturday, the husband said, don't you want to go to church tomorrow? <laughs> and there have been cases where after that, the husband started dropping the wife to the church at the gate and he goes back home. And this is what God is talking about. Always put God first. And never lean on your strength or your under, not only your understanding or also on your strength. Understanding should be scripture and uh, power should be the Holy Spirit. Always believe in the process. What happened? If you are fought and gone, you would have lost a person to the Lord. I believe all those men who allowed sometime later, 
will after that they will tell after that now what happens is when the unbelieving husband has trouble in the office or something pray. he will call his wife and say pray for me yeah, <laughs> pray to your god for me hallelujah mm-hmm. okay that's how it works okay uh, but, but also one observation i want to make over here yeah. uh, why does it say uh, here it says that wives uh, submit to your unbelieving husbands right mm. in that's a context essentially yeah. but when it comes to uh, the husband mm. even if he has an unbelieving wife he still is able to take those free decisions to yeah because that is the nature of authority you mm. know authority i remember the, when i went to work in a foreign nation no mm. when i had my final interview with the director of the top guy he looked at me and he said mr james let me tell you something this is a kingdom i know you come from a democracy in the kingdom power flows like the feathers of a, i still remember what he says power flows like the feathers of a rooster from top to down i know in your country feather flows from down to the top you elect your rulers once in 5 years in our country we do not mm-hmm. okay so authority works that way it flows when god says man is the head of the house and he is the believer then he has more autonomy to take decisions so when the man comes to the lord and the wife does not it is easier for him to take decisions connected with the faith but there he god demands a different kind of a response the kindness that christ shows like the samaritan woman mm-hmm. is not a believer the woman caught in adultery is not a believer in typical sense but you saw the kindness and the compassion and the tenderness he shows he shows to the to that woman is what the husband is asked to you know he allows but when it comes to the problems will come problems will come with with the, it's not with the husband and wife mm. the problem will come with the children usually when you are married and the husband comes to the lord the wife is does not come to the lord there is not much problems the problem comes when the children come then two faiths two ideologies come in that is when the struggle comes in that is when the battle comes it is also my child and remember the child is with the mother most of the time so the mother starts pumping in her religion and her ideology and her ideas and because the child is born in flesh it is always easier and natural for the child to go in the way of the mother mm. the way of the mother because mother is flesh child is flesh and that's that's where the issue comes in so the, the problem problems are different they are not identical when the mother comes to the lord and the father does not it's different when the father comes to the lord and the mother does not come it is different it is different so all those who have come to the lord are single please be very careful who you marry mm-hmm. like it's you marry in haste yeah repent in leisure repent in leisure <laughs> the yeah. like moses and zipora like yeah, he, he, Ma- he, moses and zipora he couldn't even circumcise his son that's because he was living at myke <laughs> myke means father in law's house uh, question number 6 says i am in two minds about the following issue mm. your take on it will be really helpful for me as well as many others facing a similar issue i am a working professional we have regular parties occasional parties oh sorry occasional parties what am i saying <laughs> <laughs> because so, poor man must be listening and say no it's only occasional <laughs> events on personal front or achievements at workplace call for celebration and we usually go to a restaurant for a celebration every time drinks are also allowed involved involved hmm. generally people stay within the, within their limits and drink responsibly 
We pull money to pay for our bills. I'm not sure whether my contribution to the bill means that I'm encouraging others to drink and sin when I don't drink. I don't see visible signs of people doing crazy stuff. People drinking behave as normal as teetotalers. Everyone seems to have a good time. Nothing seems out of place. At least that is what, that, 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 at least that is what it looks like for me. But sometimes I doubt that I might be causing them to sin. We have unbelievers in our office who do not drink. They seem to have no problem in paying for drinks. But I know that it is my, it is not my reference for finding the answer. There are only two options for me. Either continue to attend the celebrations, which also unavoidably involve drinks that sometimes require me to contribute my share or quit attending celebrations altogether. What should I choose? Ah, it's a tough question, right, young man? <clears throat> what should I choose? Like, if I were to choose, I would choose how to go. Not to go. Mm-hmm. But there were times when I had to go, like, in the army. other country. Uh, army was, I was, I was uh, a civilian. So I was invited, basically, by the senior officer so I could witness to them. So that was a different thing altogether. I had no compulsion to go at all. So I was going for a very different purpose, purpose altogether. Yes. They were all army officers. I was the young civilian uh, pastor. And I had my sprite, mm-hmm. and but I was able to witness to the drunks, and they got drunk. Many mm-hmm. of them, some of them didn't. But the Christian officers also attended, and none of them drank. They always were very careful to see they did not drink. But in the other country where I worked, there were certain situations where the whole staff had to come on a Sunday evening, and it was an institutional function. And in that country, you cannot have a party like that where liquor doesn't flow. And even the women's staff used to drink. And everybody, I think there was only one or two of us who never drank. So, but in this case, this money issue was in there. It was paid by the institution. We didn't have to put in any contribution. So I would always look at it in a different, different, like let us say, a situation that arises in that institution where I worked, where somebody actually happened, a colleague's wife died. Mm. So everybody puts in money to help him out. And basically the money is put in for the funeral, because a funeral in that country, a Buddhist funeral, is very, very expensive because it involves uh, many days of religious rituals. Mm. Okay. Now, I'm not putting in money for the religious rituals. I'm giving money to this poor man because he is not able to afford the bill. Mm. Okay. My, I'm giving the money. What he spends it on is his, is call. his call. Yes. Okay. In this case, I would say you have this choice of either going or not going. You haven't, uh, uh, clearly written here, but I, I have a feeling when you have your celebration, you could not be just drinking. Should be eating also, right? Mm. You eat also, right? I don't think this is just a drinking party. This mm. is a drinking and an eating party. If I were in your place and I believe I need to go with my friends so that I'm able to be with my friends and the friendship continues and I'm also able to be a witness, what I would do in your place is that when the bill is paying, I would tell them very clearly, my contribution is for the food and not for the drinks. Yes. Okay. So they will sense. ask why. So they will say, I have a conscience issue. So you have an opportunity to witness, this is it, this is my issue. I don't want to put my money into it to make alcoholics out of you. You're all sober now, but 
long run if you go this is what you will become so i don't want to put my money into destroying you and later your family this is a chain reaction so i am telling you very clearly what is the total bill okay 2000 rupees what is the food bill 1000 what is the drink bill 1000 so mine is part my contribution is for the food though it the whole thing goes as together you are making it very clear that my part of the contribution is for the food because i ate the food and not for the drink i will not i don't want my money to be thought about as part of the drink that's how i would put it across and, and i would say also gives you an gives opportunity, you an opportunity. opportunity to... and when you consistently tell that smiling the nicely they will understand because there are unbelievers who are not drinking and the believers who are a believer who is not drinking but the reason is different the dif- reason is different and you are able to witness about your reason pastor because you mentioned about missions uh there's a this question is question number 10 we'll look at 10. question, question okay. number 10 pastor james you mentioned about your mission field oh, this is from down under other end of the world okay okay mm-hmm. you mentioned about your mission field how you had to tra- how you had no transport and had to walk and how you had to travel how you were, how you were uncomfortable right through some of your mission trip but when you are called to serve isn't god concerned about your comfort and doesn't god know he's really putting you through this discomfort why does he do that the pastors are poor in other countries there are there are poor villages yet god would be concerned about your safety and comfort because if you f- uh, fall ill he would have to uh, heal you right so why does he allow these things to happen in your life <laughs> just that's how he began with his son mm. you need to realize when his son was conceived and his mother was 9 months pregnant he had to go on a very long trip mission jesus had a rough life. rough rough life okay that's part of your mission okay and uh, um that uncomfortableness and all is only for the body and for the flesh okay and that's that's what mission is about and uh, primarily it's your mindset if god gives you it's it's like uh, can i have uh, can i have a uh, daniel where daniel's three friends make that statement to king nebuchadnezzar daniel chapter 3 yeah daniel 3 eight possible yeah 3 not 8 18 okay you got it yes yes 318 17 and 18 yeah 17 and 18 If that is the case our god whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand o king but if not let be known to you o king that we do not serve your gods nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up this is one of the stands does not those who are on mission every child of god has to make a decision lord i accept your sovereignty in my life you can rescue me out of this situation or you can allow me to perish in this situation that's in your hands all i will tell you is that i will always serve you i will always obey you mm-hmm. that's the thing so when we go out on mission he can give you a flight he can cause you to walk we are not telling him then the sovereignty of god and the lordship a lot of people the problem is remember peter on the day of pentecost says This Jesus whom you crucified God has made him both lord and savior and many people salvation is not even real or genuine is because they have accepted the savior part of Jesus Christ without the lordship and it doesn't work that way 
It does not work that way. Is he savior? Then he is Lord. If he is Lord, he is savior. Yes. Because if he is not Lord, he cannot save you. Because it's that Lord who saves you. If you don't give him that power and authority over your life to save you, he cannot save you. So when I accept the Lordship of Jesus Christ, bent my knee, then it's left to him which way he wants to take me. And God is concerned about my comfort, and uh, but he's not so much worried about my discomfort either. Mm-hmm. Because these are, I mean, you wouldn't um, think about, uh, in, like Paul puts to Timothy, and you he puts in mission as military terms. Now, let me ask you, when you are recruited into the army, are they worried about your comfort? No, no they are not worried about your comfort. They are not worried about your comfort at all. Because as a child, I grew up where uh, a- across the school wall was the army barracks, or the Indian army barracks, which was training that country's military. And I was the only Indian kid there. So I used to go every evening because the wall was down. So I went through the wall and I was always with the Jawans. I ate in their mess. I went into their mess and also I know how they lived, how their cots were, how simple, basic they were, what they ate, their rations were, how tough life they lived early morning till late night, all that I have seen. The army takes care of them, but army is not thinking about their comfort. It's not thinking about their comfort. takes care of them. They are will give them, no, they will protect their life, but it's not thinking about their comfort. Then, so pastors are basically God's soldiers. And comfort is not the first thing. You, you don't ask God for comfort. You're sent on mission, you're sent on assignment. So a true pastor has a lifestyle of fasting, denying himself, okay, and spending long hours Studying, meditating upon the word of God because that is his weapon. That is weapon training. That's weapon training. What is half the time, what do, what do soldiers do? One is trained endurance, physical endurance. Second is weapons training. Those who are into the forefront of actually fighting weapons training, practice. So what is the pastor's uh, weapons? Prayer and the word of God. So he's pro- Constantly training himself in prayer and in the word and is constantly building up his spiritual muscles by fasting. Amen. That is how endurance comes. So we don't even concept. The problem is the prosperity gospel, which is a false gospel, has come from the pit of hell, has preached something which is not true according to the scripture. It's not true according to the scripture. Second, um, if I fall ill, which Rarely have I been in this mission trip 25 years, I think only twice. And one of that was quite recently, 45 minutes, 30,000 feet up in the sky. I thought I was, I was out, I was going, and I didn't realize it was a spiritual battle. I was 30,000 feet up in the sky, and it was like 2 in the morning. And I passed out, literally passed out. And then came back and I was praying in tongues. And I didn't realize two people, one, my wife was woken up in India. One of my spiritual children was woken up. And they too knew, wife knew myself, something happening with my husband. And that child knew something is happening with my dad. And they both were. They had no clue. They didn't even know until hours, hours later when I landed and I was able to get through. And I was told. So they prayed me through. They prayed me through. And uh, another time 
came on mission, went. That was, I don't want to quote that experience because that is an otherworldly experience, but I came through. I, I literally died three times. And when I finally opened my eyes, I was in the ICU, ICCU, bed number one, in a hospital, uh, miraculously in a Christian hospital. I opened my eyes. They thought I wouldn't make it. I opened my eyes and the first thing I see is written over there, bed number one. Jesus heals. The minute my eyes fell upon it, I knew I was healed. Hallelujah. And hours, and I got up from my bed to go to the bathroom. The nurses came and said, you're not supposed to get up. You are an ICU patient. And I said, no, I am perfectly fine. So please, no, we will be scolded by the matron. I said, don't let her know. I'll let me go. I'm embarrassed. I don't need the pan and all that. And then they said, you have to do all these things. They brought the phone in. Because I said, I don't need endoscopy, anything. I'm fine. I know my God has healed me. Then they brought the phone in. My brothers and all sister, they were all doctors. So they all called up from abroad said, no, go get it done. So when they were taking me in the wheelchair also, I told them, you know, I'm doing it for your sake and not my sake. I know I am. I am fine. And then that, you know, is the radiologist or who, who does the endoscopy? Yeah, no? Yeah, gastro and all. No, when he did it, and he was looking and he said, Mr. James, there's nothing over there. Hallelujah. Nothing over there. It's healed and just a little scar. You're absolutely, because I was bleeding terribly. My stomach was full. Blood was coming out of my nose. Everything. I was gone. And he said, there's nothing. It's healed completely. It's scarred. So I know. Instantly God healed me. And then two days later, uh, one day later, I was in another city. I didn't even reach my destination, you need to understand. Midnight between 12 and 1, between Karakpur and Calcutta, it happened in the train. And this happened. And I'll tell you, for people who are listening, uh, in an Indian railway train, you have 72 seats, berths in a sleeper compartment, 64 in third AC, and 40 in second AC. Okay, so I was seat 60. Why I'm telling you it's important because I'm in seat 64 and I didn't know I had fallen asleep because till my train had moved that day, I had been praying over people even at the platform. Last also was praying over people in Hyderabad and I was going to Northeast and uh, I was praying over people and that's when this happened. I was in the night, I was tired, I fell asleep and I was reaching and it was puja season. I didn't think about any of those time, October, yeah. demonic forces, atmosphere is not good. I didn't realize when I woke up in the night between 10 and 12, my stomach was full of blood. I had been bleeding like crazy. My ulcer had burst. That's what had happened. And uh, imagine when you are in seat number 64 and when you get up, you feel, I felt nauseous, so I had, I felt I need to throw up. What happened? I need to throw up. So 64 is where the exit door is to the toilet, a restroom, a toilet, what you want. So I got up to, I got up and was turning there. I heard the Holy Spirit say, go to the other direction, which sounds silly. Because the other direction, you have to go down all the way of the aisle to reach the toilet. But you listen to the voice of God, you never disobey Him. So I went all the way and three quarters of the way I reached, I collapsed. I collapsed and I felt, and I, I was gone. I was gone. I was, I was, I mean, why I said it is because when I fell, I fell, later I understood, on top of the 
only doctor who was traveling in the train. Literally on top of the doctor. And it was a radiologist, Dr. Pai, working with work hard, who was going on vacation to Calcutta. I still remember. Because I died. And I know my spirit went up, came down. What happened is when I opened my mouth, I saw people all around me. And they had put a spoon over my, this thing so that I wouldn't mind. He said, they were, and they were all standing with water and chappals and all, you know, Hindus, it is demonic and all kind of stuff and all. And he chased them all away and said, please get up, please. I said, I need to go. He said, don't worry, I'm a doctor. He took me. And the rest was history. And what happened is, in the hospital, I opened, I was healed, everything is done, and I need to go to Assam. And there's only one flight, two flights a week on a Thursday and on a Sunday in those years. And they said, all the seats are full. You cannot go. I said, I need to go. I need to reset on Thursday because I have a meeting that is fixed for Thursday night. I have to speak for Thursday night. They said, it's not possible. But Thursday morning, found out, they re, uh, they released uh, the governor's VIP quota and I was one. Priority one. Mm-hmm. I was one. Priority one. Mm-hmm. And I got my seat. Okay. And I flew in and I preached in the evening. Hallelujah. So when you ask, I answering it because if you fall ill, there's a God also who will, who will protect you, protect you, heal you so that his work will never, never stop. But all their faith matters, you no know, faith matters. And I'm not saying in every case that happens. It does not happen also. Nothing changes about God. <laughs> God is good all the time. And the kingdom of God still keeps moving. Pastor, then mm. I have a question which is related to this. This is a question related to this because it's, mm. uh, it's an extension to what you've already spoken. Mm. I thought it will be interesting. I mean, it will be mm. good if you can answer this. It's question number two. Mm. I have a question regarding God's power of healing. This is question number two. Two. Okay. Because uh, we've been talking yeah, about... on healing. Mm. Yes. So I have a question regarding God's power of healing. Scripture mm. says... God is the healer of all our infirmities and God says glory belongs to me. Mm. However, I don't see that in Nabil Qureshi's life. Mm. He is very young when he died. Why didn't God heal him? What kind of a testimony reached the Muslim community with his demise? Like uh, when we when we talk about healing, please put anything sovereignty. about God. Don't negate the sovereignty of God. Yes. Okay? Meaning God sees things which we don't see. Okay, we don't see. We don't see. And uh, what kind of testimony reached the Muslim community also? What we see and what God see are two different things altogether. Okay, so uh, we will never, we may have our questions. It's good to have questions. Disciples always ask Jesus questions. But what I will ask believers is, you can always ask your questions to us. You can always ask questions to God, but never judge God's actions. Mm. We don't have the understanding, the right, yes. uh, because the secret things belong to God. Yes. Secret things belongs to God. Let me show you a portion from the Bible. Okay, if I'm right, it is in Second Kings. Just give me a second because you asked this question. Mm. 
second uh, Kings chapter 13 and verse 14 and 20, 14 and 20. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. And verse 20. Elisha died and they buried him. Now who is Elisha? Elisha is the one who asked for a double portion of the spirit that was upon Elijah. Now we can ask this question. Elijah did not die of a sickness. He was taken by God in chariots of fire. Mm. While the one who followed him faithfully who actually completed the work of Elijah in his lifetime, who did double the miracles of Elijah, died of a sickness. Mm. The God of Israel is the God of Elijah and and the God of Elisha. Amen. Amen. His ways are different. Hallelujah. So the question is, Elijah was taken in fire and Elisha died of a sickness. What was God's testimony there? Say, God's testimony never changes. Never changes. Again, never changes. Because sometimes, let me tell you to everyone who's listening, JDC here, JDC everywhere, and all the others are looking. Jesus healed a lot of people. Healed a lot of people. Practically everybody who came to him, he healed them. Healed unbelief. Raised people from the dead. He fed thousands. Healings, deliverances, all these miracles don't bring salvation. Mm. The word of God does. Salvation is only by the preaching of the word of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Understand that. God has not said you will be healed and you shall. No. Yes. That's just a sign. Yes. It's a sign. That sign does not cause you, can cause you to come to the word mm. and believe in the word, repent and get saved. Mm. Okay. So please understand. Miracles, this is how always Jesus said, go preach the kingdom. And heal the sick. Healing of the sick was only a sign of the power of the kingdom. Mm. But the power of the kingdom manifested in your body does not change the heart. Yes. yes. The heart still has to repent and believe in the work of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Work of Jesus Christ. So please understand that. If Nabil Qureshi had been healed of his cancer, does that mean Muslims would have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? No. 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 This is still no. resist. They would still resist. Mm-hmm. Whoever has to believe will believe because of the word Nabil Qureshi believed. Mm-hmm. Amen. And preached. Yes. It's a preaching of Nabil Qureshi that is going to save people because even though he's dead, as it is written about Abel, he still speaks. Yes, yes, yes. And how he died, his reaction to that sickness is a much powerful testimony, testimony. than actually if he had been healed. Yes. Because the way a true believer goes like Rabbi Zach. How beautiful it is, he, his wife and his daughter, how graciously, he, 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 he probably will go any time now, but how graciously, how does a believer who knows God and knows where he is going, now Nabil Qureshi died of cancer, his mentor, Rivizak is also dying of cancer, but did you see how they died? No, how he died and that is the testimony how he died is the testimony yes. if you look at it ultimately you will rise this is what people want because you see death is inevitable Amen. every man is appointed unto die once by cancer or by accident old age sickness whatever it is every man is appointed to die so it is not avoiding death nobody can avoid death it will come knocking at your door one day Yes. your real testimony is how do you face it and how do you die 
Hallelujah. How do you die? That is the testimony of the life of Jesus Christ in you. And he showed it to them. When he was dying on the cross, the words that came out of his mouth were gracious words. Hallelujah. Power of death was being broken on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not. And that's what cost a man to repent and believe in the kingdom because he looked at the way he was dying and he realized, written, king of Jews, <laughs> he must be the king of Jews. Nobody can die like this. Yes. Nobody can die like this. Okay, so that is, that is the key. And for me, the key is that Elisha died of a sickness, but I believe he died graciously. He died in faith. He died believing in the God of Elijah and the God of Elisha. And because of the way he died, not in depression and discouragement, but in great power and victory, because of a sickness in the body, he died. The anointing was resting Amen. upon his bones. Amen. And a dead man, that's what, can you have that portion? Mm. He died and he was buried. That same chapter, verse 20. Look at what happened. 1320. Yeah, 1320. Elisha died and they buried him. And raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. And what happened? Verse 21. So it was as they were burying a man that suddenly they spied a band of raiders and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. When the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Hallelujah. Now you had asked this question. Now, Lord, what kind of stuff is this? You didn't heal Elisha. He revived a dead man. Hmm. This is the sovereignty of God. Amen. The sovereignty of God. I mean, you look at it. said, Lord, isn't it better that this man died and Elisha lived for much more longer? How great it would be for Israel, right? What is this man going to do? Is there anything written about what this man did? Nothing. But Elisha, of course, he could have helped that king to become stronger and more powerful and helped the nation. No? But that's not what is written. Can never understand God's ways. Don't even try to understand it. Just say, Lord, what I don't understand, I believe. I still believe in you. I just have a yeah. point to add to them. I mean, mm-hmm. as an observation, mm-hmm. actually, uh, Nabil Qureshi, uh, in one of his talks, mm-hmm. he mentions this, that uh, uh, Ravi Zakaria's uh, team was asking him to write a book about his conversion story. And he was telling in the talk, I mean, after the, this is much later after he write, wrote the book and he was promoting the book in one of his talks, he says, he told the team, he says, I'm too young and it's too vain for me to write my story because I'm still not finished my course in my walk with the Lord. And, uh, but uh, because of the way he got converted and the way he studied the Muslim sources and the Islamic sources and the Christian sources and the way he came to the conclusion about that Jesus Christ was indeed the Messiah, uh, that entire uh, his uh, testimony, he wrote it in the form of a book, which is such an unrefutable book that even Shabir Ali, who is considered one of the most powerful apologists, or rather considered to be a very reputed apologist among the Muslims, when he was doing a book review of Seeking Allah and Finding Jesus, he's, it was so compelling for him that after the end of the interview, he says, I understand where Nabil is coming from, but why did he have to choose Christianity and not Buddhism? He could not refute the arguments against Islam. It was so compelling, the book. Okay, so the sovereignty of God, that the team that was, uh, that he was, you know, with, with, I mean, rather actually encouraged him to and exhorted him to write that book. Okay, so if he wouldn't have write, written that book, just imagine, if he would have said, okay, I'm too young now to write the book and you wouldn't have written that book, what would have happened? 
we wouldn't even have that book and that book is one of the most powerful tools that a lot of uh, people uh, use for uh, evangelism with muslims it's one of the most compelling reads um, i would really encourage just wanted to add that pastor the other side i want to tell you is because i'm on to another side of ministry what i'll tell you is like when people like that come out from one phase to another and be starts being used by god very powerfully very powerfully to reach that community let me tell you people will say that nabil qureshi died young of cancer mm. i don't see it that way i see he was a martyr for christ hallelujah because i believe there was unbelievable occult being done to destroy him yes that's what they do in every religion the other side does unbelievable once they know you are effective as a witness the witchcraft begins not the simple religious people the other side because in every religion there is a power source the demonic that is involved and i believe they did everything to bring him down so god didn't see his death as uh, as dying of cancer he said he's one of my martyrs he offered it because when you go to romans 12:1 and say offer your bodies as a living sacrifice then god has autonomy what he does with that body whether he allows something to come in keeps it out nobody has any right to what like we say once you put into your money into the offering bag it's gone it's gone don't come and say pastor that's my money i want it back pastor says i don't even know what you put in and i want this is the way it should be sent he says i'm sorry your autonomy is gone you could have done whatever you wanted with it as long as it was in your pocket now it is here it's gone that's what surrender your body as a living sacrifice means i mean this is my my personal uh take on it it's not doctrine or anything but i do believe that people like that those who come into the forefront and when god uses them very powerfully to reach out and touch communities there's an enormous spiritual battle, battle. over them mm-hmm. oh. yes pastor there's a very tough question i think you should tackle it for today. oh which one is that it's question number 18 18 yeah should i read it yeah yeah go ahead which one is there it's question number 18 just uh, the last but one 18 yeah oh that's a tough one okay how would you explain to an african american or an african brother or sister the root reason as to why slavery this is from us by the way okay yeah. from new york mm. or our sister the root reason as to why slavery of the blacks came about because of the religious white people who loved money and not people who were saved okay It is a painful history that many carry within themselves and they continue to feel discriminated against even within the believing church. The painful question many carry within themselves is to is why their skin color or race was so picked on. White privilege is a real thing and many believing brothers and sisters cannot shake it off their minds. There are some that truly fear driving uh, there are some that truly fear driving in certain neighborhoods since they know they are hated and picked on for just being black you also have many of the impoverished communities being black communities okay let me it's a it's a question like sometimes they say it's beyond your pay grade but <laughs> i believe i am uniquely qualified to yes. answer it because i have been placed in the middle of white and black hallelujah I am, hallelujah i am brown brown okay <laughs> and also i am uniquely placed to answer it because my country too was ruled by the white man for over 300 years 
So, but I have no issues with the black man or the white man. First, let me explain to you because sometimes we need to understand certain things because many of our preconceived ideas could itself could be wrong. Okay? So you're talking about slavery and in especially about the slavery that took place in USA. The reality, human history reality is all races were enslaved one time or another. Hmm. And the very term slave comes from the enslavement, not of the black man or the brown man. It comes from the enslavement of the white man. It is the word Slav. Okay. Eastern Europe Slav, <clears throat> a white man, who were enslaved in the ninth century by the Ottoman Empire and hordes of them are taken as slaves into the Muslim nations. That is from where you have the English word called slave. is from the word Slav. Okay? So slavery was predominantly there from the beginning. And please remember, in the ancient days and all, like the Roman Empire, had more slaves than yeah, citizens. Citizens, yes. citizens. And slaves could, like if you look at the slavery as, as in the Bible and all, they could reach up to very, very high positions, own their own farms and everything. And like even Abraham is talking about if he doesn't have a son, the inheritor is Eliezer, who is his slave. Yes. So first get the Picture, we are talking about slavery as history and the abuse. These are two different things. Don't put them together because in every form of slavery, there has been abuse. Okay, so slavery has been a part of human history from the beginning. It's been there. Like even under the Jewish, under Mosaic law, if I, the father, had debts, I could sell my children sell my children. That's what the widow in Elisha's time is saying. The creditors have come to take my sons. So slavery was always there, but rules also were there. Let's talk about it. Basically, modern day, modern day slavery yeah. is also there. Yeah, okay? yes, yes, yes. So, uh, when Jesus came, there were plenty of slaves. Paul is writing, there are plenty of slaves. The entire little letter of Philemon is written to about Showing mercy to a slave who escaped. Okay, now he has become a believer. The master is a believer. So believers kept slaves those days. Believers were more slaves. They're all were there. And scripture is talking about when you became a believer, Paul says, remain in that state. Yes. If you can buy your freedom, okay. So because the first gospel that is being preached today is the emancipation of the soul and not of the body. Okay. Because if your soul is not emancipated, emancipated, freed, then it doesn't matter. You are a slave anyway. Regardless, you are yeah. a slave. So Paul, that's the first principle God is putting across. If your soul is free, then you are a free man, even though you may belong to somebody else. So we talk about the example of Joseph being a free man, though he, in the eyes of Egypt he is a slave. Actually, he is the only free man in Egypt. Well, everybody is a slave to sin. He is a free man in chains around his neck and feet and all that. So that is happening. So what happens over there is, in this specific case, what is happening? Why is the slavery of America that is always put across? Because there are slaves. I believe there are slaves in many, many nations which are hidden that we don't even know of. Mm. 
I believe in India there could be still be places where poor people, authorities are quiet about it. You know, this, this, the, the nature of the caste system in India is sometimes worse than slavery. And okay, much freedom has come in, but there are places we don't even know of what happens. Okay, they are still like the village well is there. You still cannot draw water if you are from that caste. Hotels, you have separate plates and cups for overcome. All kind of things are still happening all around the world. All around the world it is happening. So coming to today's question, one of the things which I want um, my African brothers, not American, African American brothers in US to think is that don't hate the white man. Then you are a slave. Still. Hmm. Because hatred is what makes you a slave. Okay? Never hate. I don't hate the white man. <laughs> I have no issues with the white man. That was history that you came, you conquered one way or other, you enslaved this nation and as they tried to say, looted all our country. Our country was very, very rich those days, far ahead of other nations. When you left, we became the most impoverished nation. 70 years, 70, 73, 74 years later, we are still trying to, 73 years later, economically trying to rise up. But I have no issues with you. I look at the good you have done and forget the evil. That's how I believe a Christian should always think. Then, to the African American brothers, which I have to say is also look at the other side of it also, you have to accept. It was... In Africa, it was the blacks who sold the blacks to the white. Hmm. You don't, you want to deny that part of your history, but you cannot deny it. Like the, it was the Indians, kings, who invited the whites to fight the other Indians, and little by little by little by the, the whites took everything. Okay, they came to trade. But they did not remain as traders because the Indians sold the Indians out. In the same way in Africa too. One tribe fought another tribe, captured slaves and sold it to the white man. Hmm. The white man didn't come with an army and take the slaves, but he was smart. Okay, he was, he was a trader. Hmm. So you have to accept that part of it also. Okay, that part of it also. So this is that has happened. The Japanese enslaved the Chinese, the Koreans, what they did during the Second World War, entire, how many, uh, tens and hundreds and thousands of women, Chinese and Korean, especially Korean women. And they used a term which we call comfort women, meaning they were used as sex slaves for the Japanese soldiers. Okay, so mm. abuse has taken place in every race, every soul. Look at that general picture. Otherwise, what will happen is it will cause hatred towards one race. And in Christ Jesus, there is no black or white. There is no Greek or slave. Okay, so that's the first thing which I have to. Then in Abraham Lincoln came, political emancipation took place of the African Americans. Political emancipation took place. But the problem is, Political emancipation is one thing. Emancipation for children who don't understand means freedom. Freedom, freedom. Spiritual emancipation are two different things. And I personally believe for the black man, political emancipation has taken place, but spiritual emancipation really hasn't taken place. If you turn to Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, 
Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, of slavery, but you received the spirit of adoption. And many communities have to receive this. And I will tell you from Israel's history. We'll begin from there with Israel's history. The first generation that came out of Israel came out as slaves. They were slaves all their life. God delivered them through Moses. They could be politically set free. But spiritually, they were still slaves. Spiritual emancipation is a different thing. They only thought as slaves. They said, oh no, we can't fight. Oh, we can't. We can't. That is spiritual emancipation was not taking place. And every time they thought, and at the end, they just wanted to go back to their old masters. They always wanted to go back to the old masters. And that is when, when people talk about uh, China, and I always make this comment, you know, when we sit and talk about it, I said, if Chinese communism falls, I would be happy and also it is terrifying. Mm. Because you have one billion people who have only known slavery. Yes. Authority is a regime. If they are set free tomorrow, what will happen? They talked about the Arab Spring. Talk about the Arab Spring. One of the fundamental problems, why did the Arab Springs Failed because Islam and democracy are incompatible. Absolutely. The only place where democracy in some form has succeeded in some ways or other, you always have seen whether it is Bangladesh or Pakistan, the military coups have taken place. It's, it's interesting that you take the entire Middle East all the way to Pakistan, the Islamic nations. There's only one true democracy in the entire place. That's Israel. There's no democracy in any way, not a single true democracy anywhere because it's the nature of that. So when these regimes which enslaves the people fall and they try to bring in democracy, what happens? They are not able to. Mm. And another dictator rises. Through political means, he's sworn in, but he will have a uniform and 15 medals and all, but he will pretend he's Democrat when he is not, like Turkey's, uh, all those nations yes. over there. You see communism fell in Russia after 75 years. It fell. Yes. What do you have today? Vladimir Putin, who is he? A dictator. Why? Because they lived under authority. They were slaves and Political emancipation came. Spiritual emancipation did not take place. And you know what happened? They went back into slavery. Mm. You know why spiritual emancipation did not take place? Because the state religion is? It's Christianity. And what Christianity is? Orthodox, Orthodox Russian Orthodox. You know what it is? It is slavery to idols and slavery to falsehood and no truth, no spirit of God, nothing. Mm. So you look at what Putin has done. He does not allow evangelism and evangelicals to preach over there. And the Orthodox Church is allowed freedom. Because they prop each other up. Mm. They wow. prop each other up. So this is, you need to understand. Political emancipation is one thing. Spiritual emancipation is one thing else. And I believe one of the struggles of the African Americans in in uh, U.S. is they have never truly been spiritually be emancipated because you look at how they have gone emancipated, how they have gone into another kind of slavery all over okay. again. If you ask them, most of them do not even know their history really well. They have been indoctrinated in the universities and the radicals and the leftists and all, okay? And sometimes you really wonder, are they really, really even saved? 
many of them. Let me tell you this thing. If you look into their history, who gave them political freedom? Abraham Lincoln. Abraham. And who was Abraham Ringel? A Republican, Republican. not a Democrat. Yes. All the slave owners were Democrats. And those who fought and died for their freedom were Republicans. Yes. But today, who are the blacks? 80 to 85 to 90 percent of the blacks vote Democrat. You know why? The Democrat Party is the new plantation. They have kept them in mental slavery. Everybody says, whoever gets the majority black vote will win. They make these coalitions. And if you look at all the cities where the blacks are in large numbers, African Americans are in, I don't even know what is the political correct word if I offended you by using the term black. I don't know because I'm not a politically correct person because I don't know what terms you use in US, but I'm saying are all controlled by the Democrats. And if you look at crime rate, poverty, all are the highest. Let me ask you this question. Who pushes abortion? Abortion agenda is always pushed by the Democrats. Okay. And who has suffered the most by this abortion? The black community. Do you know how many? The majority of the babies that have been aborted in the U.S. are black babies. Why? It's an agenda. It's an agenda. Imagine if those 40 to 50 million babies who have been aborted in in U.S., at least 30, I have my belief, at least 25 to 30 million would be black babies. They had not been aborted. What would be the political power of the black population in America? Because in politics, the only thing that matters is blacks. Oh, sorry, numbers. numbers. So you need to realize you are still being kept captive. That's why Trump said in the last election, what do you have to lose if you vote for me? And if you look in the history of the blacks from their emancipation, you look at it, if you look at it in terms of prosperity, which president has done most for the black population if you look in terms of your per capita income before this COVID-19 came? If it is, It was he. Trump, yes. And you have this ghetto mentality that if an African American gets educated and he becomes conservative and he starts doing well, you cut him off. Yes. And why? Why? Ben Carson, ben you Carson. hate him. Yes. Candace Owens, you hate okay. her. Why? Why don't you allow a black person to think independently and respect his thinking? Why? Because Spiritual emancipation has not taken place yet. See, the difference you see is half the white men are Democrats. But the white Republican doesn't call the white Democrat as a a racist Racist, or has him betraying his community. But if a black Democrat becomes a Republican, immediately you call him racist and you have betrayed your community. You know why? Spiritual. Because liberty is the main thing of the soul. Mm. That's what, I don't know, which great man said, I will, I disagree with you 100%, but I will fight till my last breath for your right to disagree. These are two different things. That's a freedom. The freedom to choose. I said before you, life and death. Choose life. God says. I give you the freedom to choose. In the black community, you don't have the freedom to choose. 
Why? Because spiritually you have not been emancipated. And that's your primary issue. Primary issue is you have, do not have the freedom. So you will see. I heard DP, uh, Derek Prince say this long time ago. He says, if you check out black churches, they're very, very legalistic. You don't have that freedom in black, many, many, many black churches. Why? Because it's an offshoot of your mind. Your mind is still enslaved. You don't have that kind of freedom. You don't have that kind of freedom. And if you have some black preachers who have come out, most of them are crackpots on that other side, like Ruffalo Dollar or Bill Winston. They have gone to the other side and they enslave you with another false gospel. So you are caught in a trap. So what happens is, if you are not spiritually emancipated, whatever color you are, if you have a background of coming out of enslavement, you will go to two extremes. Either you will go into legalism or you will go to the other extreme of carnality. Mm. So you will see, sadly, crime rate among the black population in the U.S. is very high. You have to accept it as. It's very, very high. Why? Because your soul has not been emancipated. No, like we have two young brothers sitting over here who are from Nigeria. Let's be honest about it. They're good kids, godly kids. We don't look at their color like they are our children, our brothers. Two of them are sitting over here. But doesn't Nigerians have a very bad reputation in India? Right? Nigerians have a very bad reputation. But that does, does that make all Nigerians bad? No. You know what? One extreme has gone the other side. Mm. So Nigeria has... Preachers coming on fire for God and criminals also coming. You have two extremes. Two extremes. Okay, And these are things which you need to realize and you need to ask yourself. There is a middle ground with God. Mm. And middle ground with God is the emancipation of your soul. Yes, and the emancipation mm. of the soul is mm. that, yes, in our church we preach tough truth and grace. But after we preach, we leave people alone. We never tell them what to do. And they hate that. A lot of people would love to me to call them every day and tell them exactly how to do. Because that's what you want to be, another slave. And I say, I refuse to do that. You take your own decisions. <laughs> I will tell you what is right and wrong as far as I understand from the pulpit. I'll preach for one and a half hours, one hour, 45 times. You may fall asleep in the church or you may disagree, agree. But after that, I'll leave you alone. I will never tell you what to do. Because that's freedom. That's freedom. Real freedom is you understand the truth and you make your own decisions. And then another thing you need to realize is that human history, the large chunk of human, the massive chunk of human history has always been determined by realm 2. Realm 2. And in realm 2, the prince of this world is a slave master. God is the one who brings emancipation. He's a slave master. And you have to see the slave master going through this. So I will always tell, where did the white man in America go wrong? The white man in America went wrong is this. 
and you will see lot of them were very kind slave owners too very very nice kind and some of them were very nasty brutal too what he went wrong primarily is that he held the bible in one hand and preached about the freedom of jesus on one side and the other side he kept slaves Slaves. yeah that was where he went wrong and many of them did both and you can't do both other slave traders were just slave traders they didn't hold on to the bible never went to church they did not preach christ and all but the problem with us was that they preached christ with one day and the liberty and everything and they kept the slaves also so they had to pay a very very big price big price which is called the civil war that took place oh. And in the civil war that took place, they actually say there was not a single white family which did not lose a father, a son, or a brother. They had to pay a price. Because what they sowed, they reaped. They paid. Because you need to realize everything has its own consequences. And until today, you will see the split is there. America is split into two. So these things we need to understand. There are what we call spiritual strongholds that operate over nations. Spiritual strongholds that operate over different, different nations. And if I were to tell the US, there could be many, but two of what I studied from great men and understood is one is rebellion. The other is witchcraft. These are the two strong men operating over the U.S. of A. Why we say that is because America was birthed in rebellion. rebellion yes. They fought against their monarch and they got their freedom. Second, along with the pilgrim fathers in the same boat came the witchcraft. That is, the Freemasons came in. And the Freemasonry is all over America. From the Washington DC monuments onwards, the one rupee note, everything. So you have these two things operating over US. Until today you see the effect. Till today, like Tucker Carlson, if you listen to him yesterday, says that America is literally split into two. That's rebellion brewing. Nobody knows. That's why you have 300, 350 million guns owned because nobody knows when something will break out over there. And if it does break out, cities will start burning. And someday or other, it will happen. I'm not prophesying, but you can look. Yes. Maths, permutation, combination. I'm not good at maths, but I'm good at politics and history. I can add a little mathematic formulas over there. Sooner or later, it will happen because of the powers that, you know. So, and my dear brothers in Australia, if you're asking what is the stronghold over Australia, you struggle. It's a spirit that hovers over Australia because you're born in chains. You know what Australia originally was. So you always have that. And that's why the British name you also down under. Down under. So that... <laughs> It's that strong man, so you have to break it. You have to break it. Believers sitting over there are the only ones. And if you ask UK, 
what's a strong man is your pride mm. the sun shall never set over the british empire remember the british ambassador supposedly said this to abraham lincoln and his answer was maybe if the good lord doesn't trust you in the dark okay so oh. so you will see your pride has been humbled mm. there is no great britain anymore anymore, anymore. right is united kingdom it only. is united it's not even a united kingdom if you give the chance scotland will break and go okay know. wales will break and go ireland wants to be on its own and uh, if you allow uh, london to declare itself it will become the islamic republic of london okay so you know god has a way of humbling nations you were so proud you were not humble you were so proud so god humbles and you will see these are all strongholds over nations and it has its impact on their history so my answer to my dear african brethren african american brethren is that are you free in your soul then it does not matter does not matter discrimination is there everywhere If I'm an Indian, I go to U- U.S. I will be discriminated on based on my skin color. Discrimination is going to happen anywhere, regardless, yeah. regardless of where. Here now, Northeast people struggle in many cities because coronavirus. They call it. It came from China, and they look like Chinese, so they face discrimination. Okay, everybody will face discrimination in another man's country, but you were born there. You grew up over there. so you struggle yes um, white privilege is a real thing yeah that's what taught to know many believers cannot shake it off their minds but my problem is mm-hmm. i have issue with white uh, i have issue with believers when they say this mm-hmm. thing because my bible says exaltation comes from the lord mm-hmm. and not from the color of your skin the nature of your family background the quality of education you received if all those were factors then joseph would have never become prince of egypt mm. so i'm telling you my dear white black brown you know we have to put yellow there no yellow <laughs> brown any other color that's no that's not that's basically the everybody will fall into these four very, colors yes. huh? pink is there I don't know where pink Sammy said is pink okay he will search google and put a picture tomorrow okay <laughs> okay all these colors are there and uh, pastor vijay what is the this thing thickness of the skin i don't know pastor it's pardon no no thickness, thickness of, of your skin. skin it's point some some 0000 mm actual thickness of your skin and beneath that everybody's blood is red yes yes okay if uh, what is your blood group uh, peter okay let's say he's o positive and i am o positive i'm o positive let's say o positive you know what if i were dying and i need blood ra- transfusion the blood of a african brother would save my life it save my life you know that that's what happens in wars the blood of an african brother the blood of a white brother the blood of a brown brother it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is the blood group is the same it saves my life it saves my life and this is where you have to be set free whatever whatever like white so come to india they're very uncomfortable because everybody stares at them yes 
if they have to live here, and also they fawn on them. Like that's what I said, I don't have a colonial hangover. <laughs> White men, any color, I treat you the same. I will not exalt one, put another one down. No, I will treat you the same. Because because you're a white pastor, I will not ask you to come and preach from a pulpit. Uh, actually, if you're a white pastor, I may not allow you to preach at all because I'm very uncomfortable about your doctrine. Okay, because crazy stuff comes from America. So I may not even let you anywhere near the pulpit. I have allowed um, black-skinned people to lead worship. And I have worship part. Preaching, I'm very, very scared about it because doctrine is not defined by the color of your skin. Color of your skin. You know what Martin Luther said? Martin Luther King said, the uh, I cannot quoted verbatim, but this is something which he said. The character of a man is not defined by the, defined by the color, color of his skin. skin. And I cannot this thing, okay? Words to that effect. Yeah, yeah words to that effect. Yes. So, that's what I have to say, you know. Ultimately, in God's kingdom, you are not, you are not judged by the color of your skin. You are judged by the, your character. Is the life of Christ there or not? And if the life of Christ is there, nobody can put you down. There will be no white privilege in heaven. Yes. No white privilege in heaven. And ultimately we are racing towards that crown and not for a perishable crown. And uh, many impoverished communities are black communities, but you have, you have a black billionaires, surgeons, doctors, fantastic people. And I and believe and a president too, mm-hmm. though he was not fully black. His mother was white, father was black. So I don't know why they call him the first black president. They should call him the first mixed race president. Because tomorrow, technically, technically maybe 10 years later, a pure black president may come. Then what will you call him? Second black? No. You know, so the whole thing is that you have to look at the heart, the color of your soul. That is where color matters. That's what matters. If you have Christ and you put the kingdom first and God has a plan for you and those plans are always good, it does not matter which country you live in and you may be a tiny minority in that country, nobody can put you down. Proof? Joseph, the only Hebrew in Egypt. Hallelujah. Only. And Hebrews were despised. Potiphar's wife said, that Hebrew, Mm. they wouldn't even eat with him. They were an abomination if you look at his skin color or race, plus occupation, shepherds. Yet he was the boss because nobody can put you down. That's my answer to, answer to. And if you are discriminated, if you feel even within the believing church, but the Lord of the church doesn't discriminate you. There's a church and there's the Lord of the church. And ultimately what matters is, what does the Lord say? He says, I don't discriminate you. Mm. I don't discriminate you at all. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Pastor, what, what is your, uh, I mean, uh, what people even in, in our countries struggle with the caste hangover. So what is your... The same thing to Americans. We have this caste system here. You do not realize solidly Indian community for 5,000, 6,000 or whatever how long our civilization is has been divided into four castes with 
hundreds of subcasts and watertight compartments where you were not allowed to move from one to another till today. One caste, especially from the lower to the other, marries, they lynch them, they kill them, and so many cases happens. And the worst of the worst menial jobs are kept for the lower caste and also it is. And you are talking about, in the U.S., you are talking about 300 years of slavery or less. Yeah, we are talking about thousands of years where nobody has escaped. And the sad part is, when they become Christians too, they don't escape that mentality exactly. always. That's right. They don't escape that mentality because sometimes I feel the overpowering strong man over America has swallowed the power of the gospel. Because people refuse to break that barrier. Break that barrier. You know? That's what I tell. I have priests over and over there in my church. I have told them. You all will say, yes, no barriers. We are Christians and we have no... I said, yeah. Let it come to the time of your daughter's wedding. Mm. That's when, if she were to come and tell you, I am, I like this boy, he's a believer, and then you will ask, what is his caste? Mm. You want to know his caste. And if he's from much, much, much lower caste, oh, you throw a fit. You throw a fit. So you also need emancipation. Mm emancipation. So these are all issues everybody faces. And you have that issue over here in India. You are talking about your um, white privilege. You have certain castes have privilege here. And certain religions have privilege over here. If you belong to certain religions, you have much more privilege. If you belong to certain castes, you have more privilege. But the Christians should not be fighting about any of this thing because we are very privileged because we are sons and daughters of the king. Ultimately, like we answer the first question of little Sarah, this world will pass away. Amen. And then what happens? The first will become the last, and the last will become the first. In Christ only, okay? Mm. In Christ only. That's why we have to fight and win these prejudices in our hearts. These are all prejudices, and everyone carries those prejudices. prejudices. Whatever the color of your skin we all, let me ask you, my African brothers and sons here, do you treat all blacks in Africa the same way? No. no. As far as my understanding goes, Nigerians treat Kenyans differently, Kenyans treat the Zimbabweans differently. Even among them, there is discrimination, right? If, um, let me tell you from what my understanding of history reading is that if you're from Nigeria or Kenya and all, and if you work in South Africa, the South African blacks treat you like dirt. Yes. They don't like you. Islam is supposed to be the religion of this thing, peace, brotherhood and all. Do you know how they treat the black Muslims? Hmm. They don't treat the black Muslims properly at all. They look down upon them. The Arabs. That's true. Actually, the, the entire hadith has mm. says the prophet was white. White. <laughs> no, <laughs> the prophet no. was white. No. So we need to realize this is there, implanted. When will this change? When Jesus comes. Oh, when he comes, people will realize what a stupid, how stupid I was to judge a man by the color of his skin and not by the depth of his soul. Pastor, we'll take, we'll, one, we'll take a break. One, one small question. And one last question. Maybe oh. that will become relevant uh, to this entire discussion because we are talking about this. Question number eight. Um, we cannot seem to get over regarding... No, that's a big question, question Pastor okay. Vijay. We'll no. go to that one simple question. Why is Jesus called the Son of Man? Yeah, sure. 17. Sure. Yes, yes, yes. Why was Jesus called the Son of Man? 
you know, can we, uh, that oldest book in the Bible where Job asked his question, somebody who would stand in the gap and intercede for me. Yeah. I'm the yeah. Nayan. Job Nayan. Job 9, verse 32, 33, 34, 35. This is Job. Okay, All these terrible things is happening. And he's asking all these questions to God. But with this thing in his heart, you won't understand me. You are not a man, for he is not a man as I am. That I may answer him, that we should go to court together. No is any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Both. Who is the mediator? A mediator is somebody who can put both hands and say, hey, come on, come on. You can be reconciled. I can, I can reconcile because I am fair. I understand you. I understand you. I can be a mediator. I understand you both. Nor is any mediator between us who may lay hand, his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him, but he's not so with me. This is Job. <laughs> How can I talk to him? He's God, I am man. He doesn't understand what I am going through. And God says, I do. I do. So he came, son of man and son of God. He's son of man and son of God. Okay, the first deep question in the oldest book in the Bible is, is answered in Jesus Christ because he came through Mary. He's son of man, but the seed was of God. He's son of God. So he stands in between and lays hands on both. As son of man, he lays on my hand. He says, you have a high priest who sympathizes with you. He was tested at all points. He knows what you're going through. So he says, I lay my hand. And as son of God, he lays hands on the father and he forever makes intercessions. Daddy, I know you. I know your heart. It's not like the law and Moses and the others made you sound like I know you are absolutely, totally compassionate, merciful, kind, holy, righteous. So he lays hands on both and intercedes for both. That's why he's called son of man and son of God. One he's Timothy. the only one. No other God. One Timothy 2.5. We can put that. Yeah. First Timothy 2.5. That is the answer of the book of Job is answered man's question is answered only by Christ. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, the man Christ, Christ Jesus. The man, man Christ. Christ That's why Mary cannot be a mediator. Hallelujah. <laughs> she cannot be a mediator. None of the saints can be mediators. Why? Because they cannot lay their hand on God. You pray to any saint, if it were, even if it were factually true, they still have to go to Jesus. Because they cannot lay hand on God. They have to go to Jesus. Mm. And Jesus will go to God. <laughs> but the problem is, true prayer is when the Spirit of God prays through you. So it looks ridiculous logically that the Holy Spirit prays to a saint. The saint takes it to Jesus and Jesus takes it to the Father. It looks like crazy. People don't understand, don't know their Bible so they swallow and believe all these things without understanding how the kingdom of God works. Mm. It's only one person you can pray. The Holy Spirit prays through you, but he prays. That's why every prayer of ours is ended as in the name of Jesus. Jesus. We come to you, Lord Father, boldly through Jesus. Why? He's man. He understands. He's God. He understands you. He's able to lay his hands on both and bring reconciliation between God and man. 
He's the mediator and he's the one who reconciles. Amen. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters, tomorrow we'll come back at this time, uh, 7.30, 7.50, 7.55 for the Q&A, worship and Q&A. Tomorrow, remember, is Sunday. And in India, that's the Lord's Day. We have three services, morning English service. For 45, we have Hindi service. And evening, 7.30, we come back for Q&A. So... Also, one thing I need to tell you is our lockdown, little relaxations are starting from Monday. We will go till May 31st and see. After that, we, if lockdown eases and things starts opening up, then we will go back to our old schedule uh, because people will be studying and working and all that. So I'm not saying anything. We have to see how it goes. But things are slowly moving towards opening up gradually. But schools, colleges, I do not know. So we may revert to, no, we may go to one service a day if is the, the lockdown easing is slow. Okay? So let's pray as we close. Father God, we just come to you, Lord, this night. We thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Lord. Awesome God. Faithful God. Wonderful God. For every question that was asked and every question still remaining and every question people may have in their hearts, there's only one answer. The answer is Jesus Christ. You are, Lord, God's answer to every problem of man. Every answer is in you. That's why it says you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, the heavenly realms. You are the answer, Lord. And I pray for all the ones who are, especially our Afro-American brothers and sisters. Oh, Father, if only they found their identity in Christ yes, Lord. and not in the color of their skin or the communities they live in. Oh, Lord, everybody who knows you who is born again of Christ doesn't matter in which community he lives, in which ghetto or neighborhood he lives. He's privileged. Is highly and greatly privileged mm. because he or she is the son, the daughter of the living God on the road to exaltation, on the road to heaven. While the richest billionaire sitting in his mansion is destined for hell if he doesn't know God. That is true privilege, Lord. It's not white, black, brown. That's not privilege. True privilege is to know you. And to be called your son or daughter. Whether the person is living in a slum or in a palace. True privilege is to be your child. Yes, Lord. And I pray, Lord, your children would experience that freedom in their inner man. And walk in that liberty. Because your word says, where the spirit is, Lord, yeah, yeah. there is liberty. Yes, so I commit your people, all who are hearing and listening and joining in prayer, to the liberty which only the Holy Spirit brings. Touch them. Continuously set them free, O oh Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you. We come in the rest of the night, the day whichever part of the globe people are in, into thy hands, O oh Lord. Be with us and help us to walk in your rest. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. 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 God bless you.